Praise the Lord, everybody. Are you ready to get this started tonight? Amen. We've got uh, the great honor of having Pastor Jonathan Boskis and Bishop Gary Porterfield with us tonight. Can we give them a hand? Tonight you're going to hear uh, some great nuggets of wisdom and experience. And so at the end, at, at the beginning, they're going to share with you whatever's on their heart. And then I'm going to give some uh, questions to them that were sent to me ahead of time. And at the very end, the floor will be open for questions to them directly. So you can go ahead and be thinking about that. Um, so why don't we, before we hand it over to Brother Porterfield, why don't we join together and pray over this session that we will get what we need from the Lord. Father, we thank you for everything we've experienced in camp meeting, God. It has been a wonderful, powerful time. And God, we're praying tonight that you would continue to speak to us and minister to us. Help us to be edified and equipped from this meeting, oh God. Let every word be spoken straight from heaven, oh God. I pray that you would guide us and direct us as we have this discussion. Let your will be done and open our ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome, Brother Porterfield, tonight. Thank you, Brother Hughes. Uh, it's an honor to be uh, sitting up here beside wisdom. Amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> and all, all knowledge, amen. Appreciate Brother Voskis tonight. Uh, the old saying is that uh, uh, you feel young when you're around young people, but I want you to know tonight I feel old and sleepy. <laughs> amen. Thank you for coming in here and, and uh, giving us a little time. We hope that uh, we can say something that might encourage him. Uh, tonight he asked me to say something about, uh, talk a little bit about ministry. And, uh, and I believe we're all ministers, but not always uh, called to uh, pulpit ministries. But uh, God's called us, and he's called every one of us for such a time as this. Ministry is not for the faint of heart. And sometimes it appears uh, that it's uh, uh, glamorous. And you see Brother Voss, the way he preached the other night, I'm telling you, you think, man, I want to do that. But you don't know what he's been through to, to receive that anointing, how many prayers and, and uh, trials and tests he's been through to get where he's at. It's not a glamorous thing, but it, it's, a, it's an honor and a blessing to be called into the ministry. There are three areas that I want to talk to you tonight that I believe is important uh, and, and to succeed in ministry. And that's the three S's, and that's sacrifice, submission, uh, and uh, uh, something else. <laughs> Amen. Uh, servanthood. So sacrifice means giving to the Lord whatever it requires uh, of our time, uh, our earthly possessions, and our en uh, energies to further his work. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Our willingness to sacrifice is an indication of our devotion to God. And I'll tell you, I've learned in an early age how uh, to sacrifice. When I was a babe in Christ, God called me to the ministry, and I'm thankful he did, but the, it's a sacrifice. And you know, one day we're going to be rewarded for what we do. So I hope that tonight, if you uh, feel your calling in the ministry to preach or anything or to be used in any kind of ministry in the church, I pray that desire gets a hold of you. And, uh, and you just keep striving for 
uh, to do excellence. Amen. To have excellence. All right. Uh, number two is submission. Uh, newborn child of God, I learned us to submit to authority. Amen. If we can't learn to submit to authority, we'll never be successful in the ministry. Amen. Uh, Paul said in Romans 13, 1, he said, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers that are ordained of God. I submitted myself first of all to God. You've got to submit to God. And next, I submitted myself to my pastor and my Sunday school teacher, my youth pastor. And I made myself available for uh, the watchman or to the watchman of my soul, which was my pastor. Uh, there's a lot of things that I did, amen, uh, that, that, that uh, there's times I didn't want to do it. But I submitted myself. And he'd tell me to do this and that. Tell me I can't go here, can't do that. And I need to be careful here. And I submitted to the, to the voice uh, of the watchman of my soul. And that's why I'm still here today. That's why I'm still here. And that's why you're here tonight. Because I, I believe you have submitted uh, to the authority in your life. Amen. Your spiritual authority, which is your pastor. Uh, and thirdly, it's uh, servanthood. Amen. The man in 1 Corinthians 16 and 15, the man Stephanus mentioned here was a man of rank. That means that he was a, a renowned man of importance. Uh, but he willingly offered himself to serve the saints. He wanted to serve the saints of God. It is an honor to, uh, to uh, persons of the highest rank to devote themselves, amen, to the service of the work of God. No matter what your name is, no matter how much money your parents have or you may have, no matter uh, uh, who we think we are, if we'll humble ourselves before the Lord, I want you to know God will place an anointing on your life and God will use you in a mighty way. Now, I want to tell you, God has called you to the kingdom for such a time as this. He has. You're somebody. You're special to God. You're not here tonight by accident. And I'm telling you, God is going to use you if you'll do these three things I'm talking about tonight. Amen. Uh, anytime my pastor needed anything from me, I would do it. I remember working all week. My, I know everybody, most everybody knows Corey. Y'all know Pastor Corey, my son. Amen. He was just a baby. At this time, I worked uh, uh, a full-time job, and uh, I came in one evening, and, and my pastor called me and said, uh, I need some help, so we've got to get this done. And uh, I went up to the church, and I worked with him, Brother Voskis, uh, to 4 o'clock in the morning. Then I had to go to back to work the next day. And I'm going to tell you, I was so tired, but I love my pastor, and I love God, and I love the work of God so much that I endured that that. Uh, I was willing to, to, to endure that. I wanted to be a servant to my pastor. And uh, I served him. I did anything he asked me to do. I remember one time he asked the youth. He asked the youth. He asked uh, the whole church. And, uh, we had to tear the roof off the church. And, uh, and I raised my hand. I was the only one who raised my hand. And I think the rest of them were going uh, to play ball or something that, that, that Saturday. And uh, we had an evangelist there. And he raised his hand. So uh, the evangelist and myself climbed up on that roof, to, tore that roof off, and put the, the roof back on. Amen. It took us a few days, but we did that. And but the Lord blessed me because, and He saw that, and 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 uh, He saw the Spirit to be a servant inside of me. And now I don't know why the Lord did. It. I didn't know that I was going to pastor a church one day, but God sent me men because, Amen. I was submissive to the man of God. And I become a servant, amen, to him and help him and uh, do whatever he needs, meet his needs. 
God sent me people to help me. And we reap what we sow. You believe that? You believe when you sow it, you're going to reap it? That's why we've got to be careful what we do. Amen. And we've got to do it not for man, but we've got to do it for God. I did these things. And on today, we have a great church with men in there that are used by God. And they are submitted to me. Amen. They've sacrificed. Amen. They're submitted and they are servants, not just to me, but to the saints of God and to our community. And that's what it's all about. It's all, not all about preaching. But if you'll be found faithful in the small things, you hear me tonight. For seven years, I was submitted to my pastor, Brother Voskis, and uh, I wanted to be youth pastor. The youth pastor position came up open several times. I never got to be youth pastor. Never. Never asked me. I'd go by his office every service time. I'd knock on the door. He said, come in. I said, do you need anything? He said, no. I'd go to the program if he needed something. I'd take care of it. And because of that, I believe tonight I'm where I am. God needs somebody he can trust. And you know what? I believe there's some people sitting in this, young people sitting here today that God can trust. I'm telling you, let's do something for the Lord. God bless you. Amen. Awesome stuff. Uh, we're going to go ahead and turn it over to Pastor. He's going to show or tell us what's on his heart. Amen. Thank, thank you, Brother Austin. And Brother Hughes doing a great job with our young people in Mississippi. He is a great, great man. And, uh, and I love Bishop Porterfield. What a guy. Um, I was about 19 or so. 19 when I first started preaching in Walnut for Brother Porterfield. They were in, in a little building. with the, 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 When you got to the side of the platform, the ceiling was low. And when I'd raise my hands, my knuckles would, would scrape the ceiling. Um, Brother Corey would have to sleep on the couch because I'd stay in his room and he'd whine about it and, uh, and I remind him of it but, uh, but here's, here's the thing that you need to know about the man sitting to my left is that he has always loved the move of God He's, he is hungry for a move of God let me tell you something else about this man to my left I've watched him over the years invest in people that from the outside, just somebody that came by and preached once or twice a year, I'd think, man, why is he spending his time with those people? And lo and behold, those people turned out to be great leaders and workers in the kingdom of God. And he has a unique ability to make everybody love him. And Brother Porterfield, you're a gift to us, and I thank you for your friendship. And, uh, and he's, he, what he was talking to you about is stuff that, that he has lived. I've seen him live it over his life. And, uh, and, and not only that, but Sister Porterfield is one of the most brilliant minds and workers in, uh, in, in, our, in our movement. Just, just, I mean, they have done such a great work, and I honor them. And uh, I'm, I'm, you want me to hurry because you want to go play ball. So I understand that. But you are here, and I, and I honor you guys for being here. Uh, you know, there's, there's a unique desire that comes from, from a group of young people. Let me tell you, our elders in our church, we love our elders. You know what they provide? They provide stability. They've been through everything. Um, 
they're for the most part their financial time in life where they can really support the church has has passed most of them, they go into retirement so financially they're not they're, they're they're not as able to give but they provide a stability to the church and then our middle-aged folks um, i'm gonna count myself middle-aged some of you all may count me old um but but uh, I'm not going to listen to you anyway. Some smart aleck back there had something to say. I don't know who it was. I, amazing that it would be Wiley being a smart aleck. Um, I mean, I could have predicted that 100 out of 100 times. Um, but, uh, but, but they're the ones that provide the resources. You know, they're the ones that work, that make money. They're the biggest financial supporters of the church. But when it comes to the spirit of the church, the spirit of revival almost always comes through our young people in our young adults. It's that desire and passion and energy that you bring to the service that cannot be replaced by any other age group. And so when we talk about, about revival and a move of God, one thing we have to talk about is, is you have to know your role in the church. And you have to be willing to live your role. And your role at this age group is to bring energy in the prayer room, energy in the altar, energy in the worship, energy in preaching. You provide something that, that just from, from, from age and just it hurts to get old that other age groups can't provide. And so we need you. We need you to bring the element that really only you can bring to a revival. There is no such thing. I've never seen a revival church, Brother Porterfield, that didn't have an on-fire youth group. And so when we talk about, how many of you have been, have been raised around the church for, for a large portion of your life? Look at all the hands. Man, you all, thank you for staying in the church. Thank you for staying in the church. Um, you, don't know, you don't know how important it is that you stay in the church. You guys are the disciples of the others that come in the church. We need you. We need you to be spiritually minded. We need you to be on fire for God. We need you in the prayer room. We need you in worship. We need you to live your role at this age. We can't replace you with anybody else. And so we need you to fulfill what you bring. And so as you grow, you're going to have opportunities to do a lot of things in life. In Israel, when, when they were still in the wilderness, God said, someday you're going to want a king. Right now, you're not really a nation. You're wandering around from river to river and mountain to mountain. You're living in tents, and you're not a people yet. You're not a nation yet. You're not, you're, you're not a solidified body yet. But someday, you're going to be a nation. And when you become a nation, you're going to want a king. And so he gives them rules. In Deuteronomy, he gives them rules for what they would look for in a king. Let me see if I, I let, me, let me read it to you. Here's what he said. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are round about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set him over, set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. It's a rule number one. If you're going to be a king, you got to be a brother. You know, you got to be from, you got to be born in, into the family. And so, if you want to be used from God, you got to be born again. That's 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 where we're going there. 
But he shall not, now listen to this rule, listen to this rule. He shall not multiply horses to himself. Now that's a weird rule. Now, Brother Porterfield, you love horses. You, you tried to kill me with one 25 years, 20, 30 years ago. My Lord. Um, he said, when you set a king, don't get a king that multiplies horses to himself. That seems like a weird rule, doesn't it, Jaimito? That seems like a strange rule. Why, would I, why, why can't we have a king that, that likes horses, that multiplies horses to himself? It's a very simple rule. The reason that they couldn't have a king that multiplied horses, because in that time, there was one place to get horses. To get horses, they had to go to Egypt. And he said, I brought you out from there. And there's no reason to go back there. Is there anything sinful about a horse? No. The only problem with it is where you got to go to get it. There's a lot of things in this world that may not in themselves be wrong, but the people you have to associate with and rub shoulders with and be influenced by to get that stuff is the problem. You have to guard your anointing. God has a higher calling for you. And if you want to be the king, you have to be willing to live without horses. If you're not willing to live without horses, you can't be the king. That was the rule. And so you want horses, fine. You can get horses, but you can't be king. There's some things when you really want to do ministry in life, when you really want to be a difference maker in life, there's some things that your friends can do that you can't do because you've got a different calling on your life than they do. There's some things that, that other young people, they can just do it, but they, but they you know, this, they, they would just want to coast. They can coast. They want to just kind of take services off, whatever. But if you've got a calling on your life, you cannot let those kind of things into your life. If you want to be anointed, you have to be willing to live to a higher standard. That's the bottom line. The question is not, is it wrong or is it not? Is it a sin or is it not a sin? Horses weren't a sin. Horses weren't a sin. But God knew there would be temptation in Egypt. And so he drew a line. And if you want to be a king, you follow the line. There's some things in your lives that some of your friends will do that God will convict you of. And no one will be able to give you book, chapter, and verse on why you shouldn't do it. But you'll know in the Holy Ghost that I can't be what God's called me to be if I do that. So I'm going to draw a line in my life. There's going to be times when there's some people in your life that you just got to draw a line and say, I can't, let, I can't let them get too close because their influence over my personality. It makes me somebody I don't really want to be. And so that my, words, my words to you all is to understand your role, what you bring to the church, what we need from you. I'm going to tell you what we're going to need from you all. You all are tired. You're tired now. You're going to be tired Sunday. It's been a long week. But you know what we need from you on Sunday? We need you to go to your churches and be on fire. You need to be on fire because that's your role. And then you have to learn where to draw lines in life. And the question is not, is it a sin or not a sin? The question is, 
can I reach my destiny if I let that attach itself to me? That's the question. It's not about right and wrong. It's about destiny, calling, and mission. All right? Is that, that's all I've got. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We could end it like that and, and uh, greatly have benefited from everything they've said, but I've got about nine questions that people sent in that I want to ask them, and then I'm going to open the floor uh, to anybody else that wants to ask some questions. There's no particular order. Um, it's just the order of what I got them in. So the first question, at some point, every apostolic believer came to a crossroad in their life where they made a decision for God. The same goes for you great men of God, and I was wondering if you would tell us how you came to make your decision. Well, I lived in the world for 19 years, and uh, the enemy almost destroyed me. So when I got in church, uh, I had insight uh, for what life was all about. So the first week I knew that God, the, the first week God filled me with the Holy Ghost and I was baptized in Jesus' name, I knew when God called me uh, to the ministry. But I had such a love for the Word of God that the first year uh, I wore out three Bibles. I can go show you those Bibles right now. I loved it so much that I read them and asked my wife. They're just all to pieces. And it's because I was so hungry for that. And I think I'd already made up my mind because I had been through so much in the world. The world and, and Satan almost destroyed me that I had made my mind up when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I never received anything like it. And I just started living up, made my mind up right then, God. And I haven't been, I wasn't perfect. I made mistakes. I, I stumbled and fell because I was a babe in the Lord. But I'd always get back up, and I had people to encourage me. And I was going to tell this one story if I'm not going too long here. I remember I, I was such a, a, a bad young person that we went to a restaurant with our young people one night. And um, when we went in there, Brother Hughes, I, I sat down with those about 20 of us, 25. And uh, I sat down at the end of the table. And the waitress came in, and, 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 and they had good reason to say what they did. They came in and said, hey. Uh, the owner said, we're not going to serve you. And they had a good reason not to. And I mean, it just hit me right in the face. And I said, well, you know what? Forget this. I started once just to turn the table over and throw a fit. But I didn't. I got up and I walked out. And I said, what's the use of living for the Lord? And uh, I got in my car and I decided, hey, I'm just going to go back to doing what I used to do. I said, you know, nobody's going to respect me. And when I opened the car, I got one foot in. I heard somebody said, hey, Brother Gary. And, they, and, and every one of those youth walked out, and they said, if they won't serve you, they're not going to serve us. And uh, I made up my mind then, brother, that I, I had a group of young people that helped me stay in. I wouldn't be in the church today probably if they hadn't have stood up and stood by me. So I, I believe that just my early years uh, of being a babe in Christ is when I really made up my mind to live for the Lord. I got to be very careful that I make sure I tell the full truth because 
Brother Tim White, pastor from uh, Little Rock, home missions pastor, is here. And he and I have been friends since we were babies. Same church, same elementary school, middle school, high school, everything. Played on the same 8- to 10-year-old baseball team together. And so if I tell anything that uh, he knows is a lie, he's going he's gonna to call me out. But, uh, but let's, let's face that one of the biggest things, one of the biggest things you all are going to deal with in life is not what job you're going to do. It's going to be who you're going to live with. Praise the Lord. Amen. We just got right down to the nitty-gritty, didn't we? I was dating a girl. I was, in a full t- I was a full-time evangelist. I was driving the country, traveling the country, preaching revivals all over. I was dating a girl, and um, some friends had fixed us up uh, at a conference in Cincinnati, and she was so pretty. That girl was so pretty. And the longer we dated, the more I realized that's not the person I'm supposed to be with. But because she was so pretty, it took me months to convince myself to break up with her. I mean, literally months. I just didn't want to do it. Um, and, but, but, in, but I kept going over in my mind that I knew it wasn't right. That it wasn't necessarily that there was anything wrong with her. She just wasn't right for my destiny and purpose. You know, and, and it's, you know, it's. There's more, there's more to, there's more to life than just, than, than just is, is she pretty or not pretty? And I had to come to, to, to the agreement at that time in my life, in my ministry, that I had to make a choice. It's my ministry or it's her. And I had to make a decision. And it took me a while to come to that realization. I had to come to the understanding that nobody loves me like God does. And God doesn't want me stuck with somebody that I'm not going to like. And so I have to trust him that if she's not the one for me, he's got better for me. And he did have better for me, thank the Lord. But you have to, you have to be careful because the main decision that's going to determine your life is if you live for God. The second main decision that's going to determine your life is who you're going to live for God with. And that's, that's something that needs to be prayed about, needs to be fasted about. I had an old preacher, Brother R.C. Mays, which is Leanna's great-grandfather. I used to preach for him when I was a teenager. Um, he, he, he would wouldn't let me go out to eat with the people in the church and he never he was old when I preached for him he wouldn't go out to eat and so I'd go home and I'd be wide awake and wired up after revival they'd go to bed I'd stay in their upstairs room and I read every issue of Woman's Day magazine from the 1970s over that revival that's all there was to do um, but he told me something he said you know I had a young couple they come to me they told me they wanted to get married I asked him if they had prayed through about it. He said they hadn't, so we went to the altar. He said, I wouldn't let them get married till they could pray through about it. And it taught me something. Um, and so that's when I broke up with that girl is when I couldn't pray through about it. 
And so decisions, talking about decisions that are going to determine your destiny, who you spend your time with. If you at any point feel like you're compromising who you are, what you value, and your convictions to stay with somebody, that doesn't mean they're not a good person. It means that they're not a good person for you. Amen. Uh, what are your five most essential daily disciplines? That's how it was phrased. Five. Let's um, just say, what are your most essential daily disciplines? Waking up and eating breakfast. <laughs> Fire number one. <laughs> no. No, my, my first thing I do is I wake up and I pray. I go, I go to my recliner and I pray and I make sure I read the word of the Lord. And uh, sometimes I wake up with songs on my mind. You know, I, I can't sing, but I, I can hear them singing it in my mind. And I just worship God as soon as I get up. So praying and then uh, uh, ask the Lord to guide my day, you know. And uh, I try to, I know I have uh, things I have to do, but uh, I want to make sure that that uh, I have, if I have a divine appointment that day, I just want to make sure I'm prepared for it. And uh, uh, pray for my family, pray for the church, go to the church and uh, do things around there. And, and uh, uh, I worship the Lord all day long. You know, the Bible says praise him continually. And, uh, and uh, so I, I praise the Lord. Is that three? That's five. Isn't it? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, and I fast. Uh, I try. I, I, I don't want to say this braggadociously, but uh, I try to fast at least two days a week. I try because I know this flesh is weak and the spirit is truly ready. And, uh, and I just found out that uh, fasting is very healthy. Uh, you know, I, don't know I, I listen to YouTube every once in a while. And they teach me that fasting is very healthy. So I try, I'm trying to do more than that. I'm trying to go to three days a week. Amen. Maybe I can lose some of this weight. I don't know. I mess my figure up, but not fasting like I should. Amen. But uh, that praying, fasting, worshiping, uh, uh, being, an, you know, trying to be a, an encouragement. Uh, I meditate and I pray and ask the Lord to, to let me know if there's anybody I need to be encouraged to the ministry of encouragement, that's one thing that I do, and uh, uh, I've already said fasting, and uh, I don't know, I'm going to need to make up something for the fifth one, <laughs> I don't know, but these, these, these are things that I do every day, it's not just every other day, but I pray, and I, and, and, and I seek the face of the Lord, and I have the word of God in my heart every day, and there are times, I went to an elder, uh, pastored in, uh, in Corinth, we went up there. I was helping him break a horse one day, him and his grandson. And uh, he said, it's time to go in for a, a break. We walked in the door. And I, I don't know why I'm saying this. I hope it fits. If it don't, just laugh it off. But we walked in that door. And the first He had a huge Bible in the, the little uh, entry there. He walked up that Bible, stepped on this platform. He was kind of short. Stepped up on this platform turned that page over and he sat there and he didn't say a word he just read a chapter we went in and we took a break we come back out 
he read the Word of God. He read another chapter. And that made an impression on me. And that's why I never let a day go by without reading the Word of the Lord. And even now, I have uh, my iPad laying around uh, there close. And I have a Bible, Brother uh, Vasquez, on the other side. And I have my pair of glasses here because I'm 60 and I'm going blind. And uh, anyway, I make sure that while I've got that, I'll read a, a verse. And I try to memorize that verse. And uh, only these, these are just things I do. And I know if you've got a full-time job, there's no way you can do that. But let me tell you what I did do. And I know I'm taking a lot, a long time on this. But when I went to, uh, when I went to work, they, they called me the pie man. Uh, and the reason they did that, I, was ready, uh, I, I would sell pies that women in the church would cook to help pay off the church. Amen. But they, and they called me the, uh, the preacher, the preacher. And uh, I, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't claim to be a preacher then, but I'd work, run. Uh, we would build furniture, and I would do my part as fast as I could, Brother Houston. And I'd run over because I had me a little Bible. I didn't, I, I didn't have a big Bible trying to show off, but I would read as much of that word as I could. And they'd say, "Let's, let's move up," and then I'd do it again. And I'm gonna tell you, uh, if we'll discipline ourselves, our minds bring every evil imagination into subjection. Uh, I know you. I know you're young, and uh, you're always. I hope you uh, boys are thinking about girls every once in a while. I hope you're not thinking about anything else. Uh, we bind that in Jesus' name. Uh, but, <laughs> but we've got to bring every evil imagination under subjection. We've got a duty. We've got a. Uh, uh, God's called us to 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 keep this temple. Amen. Uh, we're not our own. We're bought with a price, and so well, there's got to be discipline in the day. And there's probably a million, but these are just a few things I do. I'm, I hope that helped, brother. Sir, Pastor Boss. Well, I'm not sure I'll have five, but uh, I'm, a, I'm an early morning person. I just am. I like to get up early. I like to get up before everyone else gets up. I like to spend time alone. Um, I love people, but I need me time every day, you know, just the way it is. Um, but I love early mornings. I really do. One of my favorite, you guys, you guys will not identify with this at all, but my, one of my favorite feelings is that feeling of waking up in the morning so I can get out of bed. And I don't nap. I say sleep is for sissies. And so if you guys are sitting here talking about how much you like sleep, you know what I think about you now. Um, but, uh, but, but that's just me. That's my nature. You have different circadian rhythms. Some of you function better late night prayer. I like to get up early. I like to pray in the morning. I like to do it when nobody else is up. I like to be able to pray my heart and not to worry about anybody hearing and listening the things that God's dealing with me about. Um, I don't think that pre-service prayer is the time when I'm supposed to take care of my own personal needs. Pre-service prayers when I'm supposed to be praying about the move of God for the church and the spirit of the Lord and the outpouring and why so many of our prayer rooms are dead is because we pray for our personal needs in the prayer and we don't want anyone to hear it so it's quiet down and dead. Personal opinion and that's I think accurate. Um, and so and so if we had more of a personal prayer time we wouldn't have to use pre-service prayer for our personal stuff. Um, and that's, I'm not talking about outliers. I'm talking about on a, just generally, but I like to pray in the morning when, when it's, when I'm by myself. Um, I like to read the Bible. I try to read old Testament. I'm going to count that as one. 
in the New Testament. That's going to be another one. Um, but, uh, but the reason I do that is because uh, the, the Old Testament, I love to preach the Old Testament. I love the types and shadows and the metaphors that come out of the Old Testament. I, that's, that's what I enjoy. Um, but you learn church government, church function, ecclesiology. Uh, you learn church uh, order from New Testament reading. And so I like to do that. From a discipline standpoint, I don't really count it as a discipline because it's my job. Um, anything that I'm working on for the church, uh, I like to study. I like to read the Bible for personal growth, study the Bible for teaching and preaching. And so I'll read a few verses early in the morning just, just for me, but then I'll study whatever I'm working on. I usually have several sermons and Bible studies that are in the works, and I'll try to do a little bit on those each day. Um, I'll drop some in. Have I reached five yet? Then from there, it's just jo- it's just the work. Whoever I have to call, check up on whatever business we have for the church. Uh, you know, right now we're about to have our insurance is up, and so I'm taking bids from multiple companies, trying to figure out how we can save some money off the insurance bill that we have. That's outrageous stuff like that. Getting ready to build this new building. Uh, need to raise about two million dollars, I think, to get it going to really get it how we want it. And so we're pushing for that. We've got a lot of new people. One of the things that I'm brainstorming on is I'm brainstorming on how we can better connect our new people to our growth tracks, our first steps, our, um, our grow classes, our, our personal Bible studies and life groups. How can we better connect? I'm brainstorming on that almost every morning. I wake, the other day I woke up like at 4.15. I had it on my mind. I couldn't sleep. Um, I got some ideas, I think, for next time we have staff meeting. Um, which will be about a month away, um, but uh, but but that's that's my that's how I do that's how I do. I want to ask you something. It's in here. All right. Um, how do you effect most effectively study the Bible? Now I want to say he's one of the most studious men of God I've ever met, and uh, very thorough. So he's he's definitely the man to ask this question, and then Brother Porterfield as well. Go ahead, Brother. Um, well, it, there's, like, for instance, I've been studying one passage of Scripture since this week last year. Um, I've got probably 30 commentaries. It's the book of James. Um, it's, if, is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. They'll anoint his head with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And if he hath committed any sin, it shall be forgiven him. It's been, I've spent a year. I've probably written about 23 pages on it so far. I've got a theory. I've got a theory on it. I haven't got that theory down enough to where I feel like I can preach or teach it. But my theory is that healing is in the atonement, the atoning blood of Christ. So the blood, by his stripes we are healed. Healing is in the atonement. There's also redemption and forgiveness in the atonement. And so when you pray, if there's any sick among you, my theory is you have to be in covenant. So among you means in the church. This is not a promise to the denominational world and the atheist world. This is a promise to those among us in the church. Call for the elders. It's not my job to call you and see if you want prayer. It's your job to call me and ask for prayer. So it's your faith activated. And so I'm I'm getting sidetracked. This is going to take forever if if I don't hurry up. And so, and so... 
the, the, point, the point of that passage that messed with my head is if there's any, that if he hath committed any sin, it shall be forgiven him. I get the anointing for oil. I understand the prayer of faith saving the sick. What I don't understand is how if he's committed any sin, it shall be forgiven him. It seems like an outlier, like it doesn't belong in that verse. And so it got on my mind. A year ago this week, I started studying it during camp meeting. I'd get early, here early for church, and then I'd go to my office, and, I'd start, and I've been on it nonstop. Because there's no, there's, no, there's no indication of repentance. So my, my theory is that, that it's because of covenant. When you're in covenant, when you're, when, it's among, when you're in the church, you're in covenant. And when that atonement is released to heal you, the atoning blood of Jesus is so powerful that when it heals you, it forgives you based on covenant. So, anyway, that's, that's, that's a nutshell. But that's how my brain works. And so I have to study in the way my mind works. Very systematic, very orderly, very thorough. I've studied it for a year. I just told you about it. I don't feel like I can preach it yet. I don't feel like I've fully developed it yet. And so that's how my mind works. So I've got all these files with stuff just going in it. But that's how I, you ask me how I do it, that's how I do it. And when I feel like I've got enough peace about it, that I'm not promoting something that, that I don't know that is 100%, then I'll preach it or teach it, and it may never get there. It's been a year, it might not ever get there. But that verse is in the Bible for a reason. That, that phrase is in the Bible for a reason. So my process is be thorough. Don't get in a hurry. If you, if you procrastinate to study, and you're only studying for preaching and teaching, and then the clock is ticking, and then it's time to preach, and you haven't done your work, then that's where people start preaching false doctrines and things that aren't. So work ahead. God can speak to me this Saturday about two weeks from now, just as easy can speak to me two Saturday, two hours before church on Sunday morning. And so be thorough, be diligent, get a system that works for you. Oh, my wife says I have ADHD, and uh, I, it's hard for me to sit still. If I read a book, I have to have three books. I'll get bored with this one just real quick, and I'll just have to pick up another one. I don't know. I mean, that's just the way I study. I may be studying uh, the oneness of God. The next thing I know, I'm studying about faith. Uh, I, everybody's different, uh, but the Lord... Uh, I don't know. When I read the Word of God, if there's something, I, I pray, God, if you want me to, to, to uh, preach to these people, you're going to have to speak it to me. And the best, if I've ever preached a good message, the best message I ever preached is when it convicted me while I was studying it. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I, don't just, I don't just study the, just the Bible. And, and I use curriculum. I use uh, commentaries and stuff because, uh, and that helps me a lot. And, uh, my memory, I don't know if I've got dementia or what, but I can't rem- <laughs> remember real good. So I'm, I'm getting to the point I have to write down everything that, that I preach. And, uh, and then when the anointing hits me, then what I have studied, what I have preached, it comes back to me. I guess I'm more of a preacher than I am a teacher. Uh, I love to teach. Be, be honest with you, I love to, but I'm just not real good at it. But uh, um, uh, I, I, I just, uh, when I, I have a desire and a hunger, uh, to get in the Word, 
and hide it in my heart, and God can bring it back to my memory. You know, that's just, uh, I guess that's the way I work. And, uh, and uh, I've got enough people in our church, if I'm preaching false doctrine, they're going to say, whoa, preacher. <laughs> Amen. But that's the way I do it. Everybody's different. But um, as long as you're doing it, you, you need, to, need to do it. What has been your greatest challenge in ministry, and how did you overcome it? Me? Let's face it. Very few of us have ever really fought the devil. You, what you fight is your flesh. It's discipline. It's telling, learning to tell yourself no. It's learning to shut people out of your life when it's time for you to focus. It's, it's ourselves. Your biggest battle is never going to be the devil. There's 8 billion people in the world. The devil will have a lot of time to mess with you personally. Your biggest devil looks at you in the mirror every day. You got to learn to focus and discipline yourself to do what's right and to live your destiny. You have a mission and a purpose, and you cannot afford to waste it on foolishness. Just live your purpose, live your destiny, find your mission, and do it. And don't let don't let a lack of discipline. Let me tell you, the pain of regret is the worst. If you give your best at something and you do 100%, you may fail. But if you fail, you know you gave your best. That's a lot better than failing and at the end you know, you know, I could have done better. I could have tried harder. So don't, don't halfway do anything. Either give it all. Well, don't, that, there's no other. There's no but. It's just give it all. inferiority complex I guess you know uh, we never feel like that we're good enough that that's uh, all of us have that uh, to some, some extent but uh, the word of God builds your faith faith comes by the hearing uh, the word of the Lord so uh, faith can override our shortcomings faith can override what we can't do and uh, I don't know. I have to trust the Lord more than anybody I know. I have to have faith that God is going to help me. And, and I, when, I, when I'm going to minister or, 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 or maybe counsel somebody and say, God, you're going to have to give me wisdom. You're going to have to let the Word of God come alive in my mind. Uh, if you don't, it's, 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 gonna be, it's not going to be good. But uh, uh, confidence in yourself. I'm a child of God. God's filled me with the Holy Ghost. Sometimes I just got to say, hey, I've got the Holy Ghost. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. You know, and sometimes I have to encourage myself. David had to, you know, when, when uh, his men even turned against him when they lost everything. And he encouraged himself. So I think sometimes I just have to encourage myself to be able to, to go forward. I have four more questions here. So to speed it up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask one to, to one and then one to the next. Um, Pastor B, uh, as a young person, what was the best things you did to keep yourself kingdom-minded? Honestly, um, I had to isolate myself. It's just the truth. I mean, I'm not trying to get you all to crawl into caves. 
but I had to isolate myself. I had to get myself away from thinking and worrying about what other people thought about me, trying to please them, trying to fit in with them, and I had to find who I was. I had to learn to be comfortable with who I am. I know I'm a nerd. You can call me a nerd. It's not going to hurt my feelings because I know it. But being a nerd's got me a good life, so I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I had to become comfortable with myself and be willing to be me and not need you to tell me how good I am. I just had to get comfortable. And once I found myself, then it seemed like the Lord just sort of worked it out. Brother Porterfield, I think this is written kind of from a pastoral perspective. What is the best way to keep yourself from growing weary, being around a lot of the same people constantly? And how do you not grow weary when dealing with the same problems from the same people? Oh, well, I'm, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of, kind of like Brother Voskos. You, you got to have self time. You got to. Uh, I know Jesus even uh, went to the mountains. He got away from everybody to to find rest. And uh, now, what was that latter part of that question? The second part was, how do you not grow weary when dealing with the same problems from the same people? Uh, well, first of all, uh, uh, I realize that I'm not God and I can't fix everything. And, uh, and yeah, 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 I handed him a church over to Corey and he takes care of it now. Uh, you know, it, it, you grow weary doing that. Sometimes you just have to listen. And a lot of times they don't want to answer. They just want to get it off their chest deal with people with their same problems over and over because you tell them the right answers, but they don't do it. And it, and it wears you out. But uh, I've learned, not that I don't care, but I've learned, you know, when, when I leave that person, I say, God, that, that, that's a problem you're going to have to take care of and, she, and, and, and he's going to have to take care of or she's going to have to take care of. And I pray for their faith and I pray that they become overcomers and I just say, I'm not God, I can't fix everything. I'm just a man of God trying to do his will. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you this next question and then go to Pastor B. Uh, how do you get to the next level when you feel like you've hit a plateau? Just keep on keeping on because eventually you're going to break through. Just don't quit. You know, uh, there's times that uh, I remember there was about a year that I didn't feel the Holy Ghost. I thought God had, had forsaken me. I thought he had left me. But I didn't quit praying. I didn't, I, I didn't quit paying my tithes. I kept being faithful to the house of God. I'd go to the, prayer, the altar when they have altar calls. I'd go to the prayer meetings. I'd do all those things. I just did not quit. That's, that's the only way. You can't quit. You've got to endure to the end is what the scripture says if you're going to be saved. Amen. And Pastor B, last question. What one thing... Do you wish you would have done differently in your life or ministry? Man. I got a few answers to that. I don't know which one thing. You know, for the, for the most part, honestly, um, man, I got a great life. I got a great church. They love people. They love souls. We're winning souls. We're discipling people. I got a beautiful family. I got a man. I, I've I've had more blessings than somebody should deserve. Um, I've 
got more, I've got what most people in my line of work want, honestly. I mean, and so, so from that perspective, um, it's, it's, I don't have a lot from that perspective. God's been good to me. I've worked hard. I'm addicted to work. It's my weakness is I love, I love doing this. And so, um, but my, my greatest weakness as a leader is that I hate confrontation and conflict. Hate it. And so if there's, if there's issues, man, I, I, I pray about it. I avoid it. I hope that God works it out. I hope he deals with it. I hope he takes care of it. And I just kind of try to leave it alone and act like it's not there and hope it goes away. And sometimes that's just not good. I've seen a lot of pastors get over aggressive and tear their church up by trying to fix everything. I don't want to be that. But there's some things that if I could have just found a way to get into it and fix it and solve it, I may not have been able to fix it, but I could have got it over with faster, <laughs> you know, moved on. Um, and so I would say that most of the, the main things that I regret are times when I wasn't more active in trying to resolve things that I was hoping would go away and they just, they didn't without pain. So. Amen. Hasn't this been wonderful? We're going to try to go 10 more minutes, and I've got, uh, I'm going to open the floor to any of you that have questions. After hearing them talk and everything, uh, I'm sure you have some questions that come through your mind. So uh, whoever wants to do the first question, raise your hand, stand up, whatever. Brother Devin. Um, so I'm going to explain a scenario, then I'm going to ask the question at the end. Um, being a first-generation apostolic, there's a, lot, there's a lack of support from family emotionally, physically, and even spiritually. I've always had people who would tell me that there's a point where all you can do is pray and let things be. Otherwise, you will hurt yourself and harm your ministry by trying to carry loads that you aren't meant to carry. But the only thing that comes to my mind is that I don't want to get a phone call with bad news and end up having to think whether or not if they went to heaven or hell. As a first-generation apostolic in ministry, it's hard to decide the thin line between sacrificing time for family and ministry, for family ministry and committing spiritual suicide by constantly giving your all for their salvation when they won't even do the bare minimum. So my question is, where do I draw the line, and what are some things I can do to hold on and press to and prevent myself from becoming weary whenever I'm fighting for my family's salvation? Uh, God called Abraham and told him to leave his family, uh, and he did. And uh, God blessed him, gave him the promised land, all those things, and, and it hurts sometimes. But we had a, a, a young lady in our church, came in, got the Holy Ghost, and uh, their parents found out about it, and they like to beat her to death because she got the Holy Ghost. But she's still in church today, and she's still, uh, she forgave them, forgave their parents, and she's in the ministry. Uh, she's having some health issues. She's not like she used to be, but she's still carrying on. And uh, you love your family. That's the only thing you do, love your family, and just press on and uh, fulfill the call that God has called you to, brother. All right. Next. 
this one is kind of, this question is kind of more centered towards you because you're a young person, kind of. Um, how do you as an apostolic young person differentiate the difference between God speaking to you and the desires of your own heart? Okay, so I would say when God is speaking to me, it is a very heavy, uh, heavy sense, a heavy feeling. And uh, it's something that I'll try to pray against or something I'll try to escape and I cannot escape it. You understand what I'm saying? I, I will, uh, I'll, for instance, I'll use this as an example. When I was about to get married, when I was about to ask my wife to marry me, I knew it was the will of God. God spoke to me. But I also knew the tendency of, of my flesh. been with her for a long time. Maybe it's just my flesh, right? And so I prayed. I said, Lord, if this is not your will, cut it off. Shut it down. It might break my heart. I might be destroyed for a long time. But God, whatever is your will, let it be done. And, and the Lord continued to speak to me and give me confirmation after confirmation, even to the point where I'd say, Lord, have so-and-so say this. And so-and-so would say exactly that. And I don't suggest doing that with everything, but I just wanted confirmation after confirmation to know God was speaking to me. You understand? And so it's, it's something that will not leave me alone. If it's flesh, God can get rid of that. If you are completely submitted to God and have your will subject to his will, he'll, he'll take care of that. Okay, but, but when God is speaking, it continues to push on you, press on you. That's, that's my answer. That may be different for these men of God. I think that the one thing is it can be God and please your flesh at the same time. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, man, preaching last night was fun. I enjoyed it. There's a there's a adrenaline rush. There's a spiritual uh, high that comes with feeling the anointing like that, and and that and that is, I mean, that's exciting and fun from just a natural viewpoint. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't God. So you can have both. You can want. You can not. not I don't have any idea about what you're talking about, but you. You can be, you can feel like God's calling to evangelize and just want to evangelize and it both be true, but you have to be careful not to let your calling gratify flesh. You have to keep your flesh crucified and that's, and that's the key right there. Um, when, when, uh, I, I have a checklist in my mind when I think God's speaking to me for one thing at your ages, especially. Um, I highly suggest that you get a journal and that you write down. When you think God spoke to you, write it down. Write down everything you can think about how it felt when you felt God speak to you, what you thought, uh, anything that you can write that relates to it. Because what's going to happen is you're going to start learning how God talks to you. And so I really think this is God dealing with me about this. And I really think that God, and this is how I felt when God, I felt God spoke to me. And you might look back six months later and say, man, I was so far off. That wasn't God. And so you learn. You learn to hear God. But you only, you know, I'm, I'll be 51 in a couple of weeks, man. I've been preaching since I was 17 years old. Um, if I hadn't figured it out by now, I'm not going to. But you're not 51. And at least if you are, you sure look good for 51. I'm just telling you right now. Um, 
but, uh, but you have to learn how God speaks to you. And so you need to mark it down. Don't you write it down. The Bible said, write the vision, make it plain. And so every time you think God's speaking to you, write it down and you'll train yourself. You'll be right sometimes, you'll be wrong sometimes, but you'll learn the difference between the two. Okay, we have four more minutes. Anybody else have any questions that you'd like to ask? Okay, it's not really going to make sense when I say it, but I need y'all to, like, hear me and, like, you know what I'm saying? So, we did P7 in high school, okay? So, we felt like that was our ministry, and that was, I feel like it's a short-term ministry. I feel like that's a part of our long-term ministry, but it's not, you know, like, I'm not going to do P7 for the rest of my life because I graduated high school, you know what I mean? So, like... What are some tips to keep, like, keep going strong that God is still going to use me and God's still going to find a minute? I'm still going to have a ministry. Do you know what I mean? Um, well, the mission is to make disciples. That is the mission of the church. There is that, the mission is not to entertain ourselves, to keep ourselves, you know, busy. The mission is to make disciples. And so Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. And so you have to find a way to be plugged into your father's business. What I would say, and this is, this is such a pastor answer, get a home Bible study chart. Teach a home Bible study. If you have friends, whether they're apostolic or not, say, hey, look, I'm trying to learn how to teach Bible studies. Will you let me practice on you? And practice on them. Um, because... Because P7 is all about winning souls. That's what it's about. Well, so is home Bible studies. And, and if you'll be plugged in, let me tell you something. You know what? If, if I, well, I, I, I don't know if I ought to tell you this or not. If God were to come down right now and say, Brother V, what do you want most in your church? You know what I would say? Soul winner. I wouldn't ask for a millionaire. I wouldn't ask for a great preacher, a great singer, a great musician. If I could have anything, if God said, you have anything you want for your church, I'd say, God, send me a great soul winner. And so be that for your pastor. Find a way to be it. Scripture says, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Whatever you, he said, whatever you do, you find to do for the Lord, do it with everything within you. So we're always going to be used for God. He said, I will work, but who shall let it? You're never going to be without some kind of ministry, encouragement ministry, Bible studies, prayer ministry, something. You may not be a singer. You may not be a, uh, on the platform, but you're always going to be in ministry. God's looking for somebody to work through, and you're that person. Last question. Brother in the back.
Yes. Yes, definitely. I have worked on whole sermons for hours and got to the end and realized that's not true. It's a misapplication of the scripture. I've wasted all these hours. I didn't waste the hours. I learned from it. But, um, but yeah, so, so the book of Isaiah, let me give you an example for the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, behold, a virgin shall conceive that shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter number seven. It's a time of conflict when there's war in Israel. Um, the war in Israel is two nations, three nations that Israel had defeated individually that came together and now they're conspired against him. And he goes and finds an answer. He goes to the end of the conduit, the upper pool of the highway, the fuller's field. And that's where he gets the message, behold, a virgin shall conceive. Do you know that that verse has, has a prophetic meaning and a natural meaning? The natural meaning he was talking about his wife had a baby. The prophetic meaning, as we know, is Emmanuel, Christ with us, God with us. And so you have to study context. Before and after, uh, you have to flow. Watch the book of Isaiah. If you learn, if, if you can find a resource that will tell you what the main focus of Isaiah's ministry was, who was he prophesying to, what was going on in the world at the time, what was happening economically, socially, politically, spiritually, you find the context of time, the context of scripture, the context of history. You've learned the major players. And then as it begins to play out in the scripture, when you have that background knowledge of what's going on in the world, then you see who he's talking to. And then there, but then there's some things that just comes by revelation. The truth is you just need God to say, to reveal it to you. And, but, but you do all you can do. And, and then you commit it to prayer. I mean, like I've, I told, I've been studying three scriptures, three verses for 12 months. And it's just a matter of prayer. It's God, I want you to show me everything you can out of it. And, and, and it's, it's a process. It's a long process. I, I was an evangelist and I was preaching youth camp here at this church behind that pulpit. At the time it didn't have glass. It had wood panels in it. Um, I was going to preach a message on during that camp one night about, about, uh, the, the title of the passage was when Absalom had sheep shears. He was bitter at his brother. He waited for the time of sheep shears. And at the time of sheep shears, he killed his brother. Two years of bitterness. And I was going to preach about the effects of bitterness and how it destroys. I did not preach that message for 27 years. No, 21 years, I think. It was 21 years. The whole thing was written. I didn't preach it for 21 years because it was a message out of time. That message was not for that youth camp. That message was for me 20-some years later when I was fighting bitterness over an issue that happened. And God gave me that message over 20 years early because I'm so hard-headed that it takes that long for it to get through to me. But that's how long it took me to get the message. That's how long it took me to get it in my spirit. And so when you run into a roadblock like that, it might be that it's not for now. It's God dealing with you for something. He's working upstream. He knows something you're going to need later. And so he's planting it in your spirit now for then.
talking about being a first generation, how do you balance reaching for your family? And well, you know, one time, I think it was uh, John, he said, I am not the Christ. And you can't save anybody. You can't redeem anybody. You can't set anybody free. And so the, all you can do is what you can do. If they're not going to hear your voice, you keep saying it over and over, they're not going to hear it. You make it a matter of prayer and fasting. And then, and then you leave it in God's hands and hope. And God opened the door. You pray, God, open a door for me to witness to my family. God, open a door for me to be a witness to my family. But you've got to leave it with him. And then on the other side, first generation apostolic with no support, Devin, you want to be tougher than everybody else you know. And I wish it didn't have to be that way, but it is. You just got to be tough. You got to pick yourself up. You got to encourage yourself in the Lord. You got to tell yourself that I can't let other people's decisions bring me down. I'm going to do what I need to do today, and I'm not going to let it drag me down. Easier to say than do, but but that's you don't have to. You don't have anyone else, and so you have to do it for you. And then, but you're learning lessons that you're going to be able to help other people. So. Amen. Can we all stand? We're about to go play ball and uh, have fun over there. But right before that, why don't we pray together and ask God to put this in our hearts. Father, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for, for encouraging us, edifying us, and equipping us. I pray in the name of Jesus that the word of God would be sown into good ground and bring forth much fruit, O oh God. I pray that we'd walk out of here equipped and empowered to go and do your will, God. Don't let any of the word that we've heard tonight... Be, uh, be thrown into stony ground or along the wayside, but God, let it be sown into good ground tonight. And we thank you, Jesus, for speaking to us and giving us wisdom. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise tonight in Jesus' name. Let's clap our hands to the Lord and give Him praise.